All right, thank you for joining us for our latest FireEye Ion Security podcast. My name is Grady Summers. I'm FireEye CTO. I'll be your host for the podcast. We're here at RSA um, with Shannon Leach from Intuit. Uh, Shannon is a security director at Intuit and heads up their DevSecOps uh, program. So, Shannon, thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Gray. It's great to be here today. So, DevSecOps, you're the head of DevSecOps at Intuit. Um, can you talk about this philosophy? What is DevSecOps? Yeah, um, it's... Uh, in the last couple of years, really branded the idea between DevOps and security and thinking about doing things in a different way. Um, you know, we've really started to emerge as an innovative player and we're trying to get security to be part of that practice. We have a traditional security capability and um, DevOps has become the new black. And so mm-hmm. what we're really trying to do is achieve you know, security at speed and scale like developers need to accomplish. That means that you need to have developers be able to make decisions more uh, more speedily, yeah. um, being able to, uh, you know, do the things that are necessary and be able to uh, appropriate different technologies, do all of the infrastructure, make sure that their stuff is running 24 by 7, and really figuring out um, how to add in security to their responsibilities every day so that they're mm. absolutely able to fight off attackers with their applications. That means ultimately that you have to have a um, feedback loop that's really quick, and so security is has been pretty slow. Yeah, right. And so we've been evolving our security practice to make it much faster, lighter weight. We've gotten out of the approval and exceptions business, and now we're really pushing on developers to make remediation a lot faster. So like the old way a developer might do something, it might go through a series of tests for security, it might find they failed, they might remediate. I sense with DevSecOps, it's about them getting like real-time feedback. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's about accelerating that feedback back to them, that they can actually see and understand attacks are happening to their applications, that they're getting high-fidelity steps to remediate those issues, that they're not really being bogged down by security. They're not having to become security professionals themselves. So, and I remember several years ago, you and I talking about some of Intuit's moves to the cloud, and, and Intuit's been very public about moving TurboTax and Mint.com and, and the rest of your applications eventually to the cloud. And I remember at the time, uh, you told me, like, what, what Intuit's doing is going to become a beacon for the industry, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's, it's amazing how it's proven true. I hear people talking all the time now about kind of the, what a forerunner you guys are with the cloud. Is DevSecOps, uh, though, unique for the cloud? I mean, you built it for this, for this initiative that Intuit's mm-hmm. undertaking. Is it unique for the cloud, or can it be adapted for conventional? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so in the last couple of months, I've been asked to go from cloud security to actually looking across our entire practice. And uh-huh. So I run security engineering and operations for Intuit now. And we've been adapting DevSecOps for not only our cloud environments, but also for our traditional data centers as well. Um, and so we've really taken the essence of DevSecOps, the values, the principles, and started to adapt them so that our internal infrastructure can be faster and more dynamic. We've applied things that are more vir- virtualization in our environment. We're starting to push on you know, making changes as, vi- as rapidly as possible. Developers are part of that practice. We've extended our blue team capabilities to include DevOps teams so that we're having them participate in defending the technology. And so they're able to make those decisions more readily, and we're actually expanding our security practice to include everyone so everyone is responsible for security. Oh, cool. Uh, now, you've talked in the past about Red Team Mondays and Blue Team Intelligence. Can you explain those terms? It's yeah. really unique. 
absolutely. Um, you know, red team's not unique as a term. Blue yeah. team's not unique as a term, but the way in which we practice right. them is very unique. Um, we're really aggressive at doing red teaming, which is attacking our own infrastructure before attackers go after it, getting a sense of drift management so we know when something changes, it's time to actually attack it and figure out whether or not it's frail or vulnerable. Um, we go after our production environments just like attackers do. So mm -hmm. uh, Scott Kennedy yesterday during his talk actually talked about having a red team. Like if you don't have one, you need to have one. And the reason why is because you actually do have a red team that attacks you every day. Yeah. It's just not one you pay for. Yeah. Um, so incredible, huh. you know, thought process there. And then blue team intelligence, you know, one of the things we learned from FireEye is that you need to hunt your mm -hmm. vulnerabilities and defects every day in your log files and being yeah. able to take that information and do something with it is akin to doing red team but only in a different way and so we're always going after our log files figuring out what's happening in the environment what our attackers doing we capture some of the things that they do in our environment and actually um, play those back against our infrastructure and so you know we've leveraged things like honeypot sandboxes and have the ability to really take that information in and make it useful and I think you know, and Mandy, and we talk a lot more about red teaming as well, but you call them red team Mondays, blue team intelligence. I just get the sense it's a much more constant. It's not like you do a red team uh, once a year. Yeah, no, it's actually every week we have a red team Monday. So cool. uh, red, team, red team Monday was really put in place so that we had our um, internal folks understand that we were going to actively campaign and attack the infrastructure and that they could expect it every mm. week. It was part of their routine um, habit that's going to happen as part of the infrastructure changes. And by doing it on Mondays, we actually were able to balance cloud versus our traditional capabilities um, by actually putting in a cadence that was a little bit more appropriate for both. Uh, that allows you to have continuous delivery into the cloud, which happens multiple times per day, so you're mm -hmm. going to see a lot of fluid change there. But in a traditional data center, the, the release cycle is much longer. It's going to take a while to actually get something done. And by uh, um, striking a balance between the two with just a single Monday, you know, every week basically going through those things, you know, that's such an important part of our culture now. Everyone knows Red Team Monday happens. It all goes all the way up to our board. You, you'll, might, you might even have heard Brad Smith talk about how we're yeah. doing some of these things. It's been really an important part of our practice. It's amazing that how high up you guys have the buy-in for Yeah, this. We, we've got it all the way up like through our board of directors. Yep. So uh, I've had the pleasure of um, working for you as a vendor, and I've seen how you can keep your vendors on their toes with these fire drills <laughs> you do. Can you just say a few things about how you fire drill your products and your vendors? Yeah, this is absolutely a build on to Blue Team Intelligence. Yeah. So one of the things that we really uh, practice is making it so that we constantly test and check our own technology from a security perspective. So we're always pushing on our vendors from a security perspective, um, you know, at being FireEye and being one of our major vendors for uh, technology and security. Um, you know, we're constantly checking to make sure that everything's configured properly, that we're getting the alerts back, that we're cycling through those things, and that we actually are getting the results that we expected from the security technology. It's not enough to just simply put it into your infrastructure yep. and turn it on and think that it's going to operate properly. You also have to check for tuning. You have to actually make sure that it's going to be a very rugged part of your security infrastructure. 
Um, fire drills happen routinely. They are not planned. They're totally unplanned on purpose. A fire drill could be anything from a delete an instance in a cloud account to uh, turn off a FireEye appliance. And yeah. so we're constantly going through those things so that we can find the frailties within our environment and make sure that we eradicate them. Yeah, I love that you like to do them at like 4 a.m. too. Yeah, I know. I really do like to do that. So I keep you on your toes, yeah. right? Yeah, it works. <laughs> when people are sleeping is a good time to actually find out how frail your systems That's, are. That is very true. So uh, if we step back a little bit, can you talk about, um, you know, we I touched on Intuit's big move to the cloud. Can you talk about how what Intuit's doing on a large scale and you know, what's Intuit's philosophy around cloud and cloud security? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we're really aggressive about doing cloud and cloud security. We know that the next generation of technology really builds upon your ability to be competitive, having the notion of extreme trust. If you've read that book, it's actually yeah. a, a, absolutely a great book. Um, big and influencing how you think about your customers and what their demands are. And so the way that we think about cloud and cloud security is that we need to be really good at it, that we have to question everything, that we have to get a level of confidence in what we're trying to build and how we build it, such that we understand where our frailties are as well. Mm -hmm. So kind of building on that anti-fragile environment, um, you know, the cloud is relatively hostile, and we know that. And we know that the things that we are being asked to do by our customers require us to have that technology capability, but that we have to be super sensitive to the fact that we need to be a trusted vendor to those customers, right? Right. And so um, we're always trying to strike that balance. We're looking at things more aggressively. We whitelist capabilities in the cloud. We don't actually let our developers use everything in the cloud provider's Mm. capabilities. Um, There are security features that we've asked for that cloud providers are now uh, pushing forward. And if you look at the last few years, even in Amazon with AWS, the last few years, they've actually quadrupled their security features, which means that it's starting to have a positive effect to be questioning the things that are out there, improving upon them, uh, requiring secure by default capabilities, making sure that templates are secured by default, so that you're not asking a developer to do all of these things and fail as they go. You're actually giving them secured components that they can take off the shelf you're sort of making it so that their job is a lot easier and they're able to do the things that they you need them to do to be able to make your business work. Yeah. You touched on something really important there, I think. And, um, you know, you guys are hosting some of the most sensitive data customers. You know, tax returns uh, will be in the cloud. And, you know, I talk to some customers who are, are reticent to put anything in the cloud, even, you know, say log data for analysis, which I, I would view as, in most cases, much lower sensitivity. But I think maybe the mistake is um, some companies view a move to the cloud as very binary, you're doing it or not. You touched on the fact that you're only using some services. It's not like you said, go for it, put it whatever you want, anywhere you want in AWS. You've been very deliberate. About yeah, it. we've been really deliberate, very careful. We question everything. We go through a really rigorous process to vet the technology. And one of the things that you can think about when you're vetting technology like this is you can decide to go to the cloud. You can decide to use a cloud vendor and be all in on something. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your implementation approach has to be, we're going to use everything that they provide right when they actually open up the doors for everybody to use right. it. Yeah. Um, so we've gone through a meticulous process of literally going through every single line-by-line detail of the cloud um, features that we're leveraging. Yeah. And by doing that, yeah, it takes a little bit longer 
longer for us to adopt things, but we've seen, you know, technology actually be secured through this approach. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that we do is we sandbox most of these capabilities. We have sort of learning accounts. We cycle through them. We learn from them. We've published out just, you know, the first thing you do is basically take a CloudFormation template off of the shelf and you push it into one of these accounts and then you just wait to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And what you find out is, the technology actually does get compromised and now you know exactly where to defend it and you get a lot of information huh, back from doing that. Yeah, that's neat. So, uh, I mean, you guys are doing a lot. You've got teams dedicated to securing the cloud. Not every organization that is starting to dabble in or starting to move to AWS can afford that kind of resources. What what practical advice would you give to an organization just starting a migration out to the public cloud? That's a fantastic question. <laughs> we, star- we started with literally one person who knew something about AWS. Huh. Um, and we had, you know, many projects that were headed that direction. I would say that the thing that um, I would tell most companies is it only takes one person to be able to make something useful. It's really about the approach. It's about sharing and talking to people and getting communication and collaboration going. Um, Our approach was simply that we had one person who knew AWS and that they actually had the ability to go out and do an attack model, to look at something, to question it, to be scientific about it. And it's simply about not just listening to the vendor and saying, you know what, I'm going to use your stuff because you said it was good and I should trust you. But actually questioning whether or not you should be using something and why is really important. And and that can be done by just one person in a company. All you have to do is go through that process and it's really very simple. Um, You know, yes, we do have a much larger team now. We went from one person to Mm. the next, you know, five people and now we have 30 people associated with uh, some of this uh, capability in DevSecOps. And that has been, in most people's eyes, overnight, right? We've invested with, you know, folks from early career all the way through, you know, very senior, mature uh, professionals. And I would say that it doesn't necessarily have to be the person that you think is going to be the best at it. It's just about making sure that you understand the quality measures and making sure executives have the quality measures in mind about what they would like to see happen in the cloud as an example, we've pushed on blast radius containment. We've pushed hmm. on, you know, how do you want to leverage the cloud? What are you leveraging it for? If you're going to build up skills within your teams, um, make sure that you pick out the right project. Don't pick out your most sensitive data and then think that you're going to have the skills day one to be able to support and defend yeah. it. Pick out the project that allows you to get just a little bit of a, a set of skills and then work your way up and iterate towards it. I think that's, that's so key, it, you know, starting simple understanding what the cloud has to offer. And I think it's not that we throw out, uh, I mean, all the principles for security still apply in the cloud as they did in the enterprise. But uh, one thing I noticed, I mean, there's adaptation that's required, right? It's understanding, like, you know, you and I spend most of our time on AWS. It's understanding, like, what logging sources can you get out of CloudTrail, for example. Uh, Maybe a little bit different than you might do it in the enterprise. Um, You can't just take a firewall and, and put it up in in AWS or in any public cloud environment or even a a virtual firewall, right? Because the network inherently is different. Yeah, exactly. And it's really about understanding and embracing the technology, not trying to make it something it's not, right? right. You know, one of the things that really bugs me about um, leveraging AWS is that I hear folks talk about building what is equivalent to a data center in the cloud, and it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't translate one It doesn't at all. And so you see some of these old principles and old capabilities coming into the cloud that are absolutely dangerous and are starting to cause lots 
lots of problems with attackers. Yeah. And I think that's... Like tethering to yeah, the cloud. Yeah, te- tethering to the cloud <laughs> is absolutely can a Can you explain what you mean by that? So if you can imagine, you know, we see this thing called hybrid cloud. And yeah. to us, that's basically tethering. If you're trying to attach your data center directly to a cloud, you're basically losing all of your security capabilities because you get the worst of both of the <laughs> yeah. environments tethered together. And so you see the frailties of the cloud be able to infect the data center. And they just really weren't meant to be designed and developed to support the security attack surface. Um, To me, that's absolutely a bad practice and something that we really have to try and push past. It's a much easier thing to do to build into the cloud, leverage the cloud capabilities, and really look at the frailties Mm -hmm. of the cloud individually. Well, it's actually kind of an awesome point to wrap up on because um, a cloud migration can give you the chance to start fresh in a way. We often talk about technical debt and security debt baggage. Um, it's a neat way to look at a migration to the cloud, right, is, hey, we can start fresh. Let's exactly. And you don't necessarily have to start fresh on every part of that. You can start fresh with your infrastructure, and mm-hmm. you can divide up how your technology works. You can take old code bases to the cloud. You just have to do different things with them. And you can actually get controls in place that make it so that that's still a good thing to do. But taking something and trying to forklift it exactly as it is yeah. in a data center in a cloud environment is really, really a bad yeah, practice. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, you know, we're here at RSA. We're not far from the show floor. And uh, I, I often, you know, I think often we look to the show floor, right, the expo floor, the vendors for innovation. And uh, I've always thought that the real innovation security is coming in the enterprise. I think Intuit absolutely proves that out. So Thank really you. appreciate you joining me today. Really appreciate the opportunity.